So I think it's it's really important that we we look at that era and look at how we memorialize our history in Alabama uh, through our iconography, our law, our culture, uh, and, and figure out a way to come to grips with what the truth really was. And it's only after we we do that and and hopefully you know do some other things too, maybe rip up this 1901 piece of junk and start over again that we can have the future that we deserve. All righty. Welcome in, boys and girls. Another fantastic week of your favorite Alabama weekly politics podcast, Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and... David Person. There we go. Hey, uh, you know, this is going to be probably our best episode that we've ever done. Um, you know, or not. We'll see. Uh, so let's... Uh, <laughs> But uh, we, we do have some things to cover. Kyle Whitmire is going to come in talk about his uh, his great series that he's got uh, uh, at al dot com exploring yeah. the uh, the racist history of this state mm-hmm. and uh, all the racism and uh, white supremacy that we apparently do not teach in schools and that we really kind of uh, worship uh, around the state uh, without mm. even knowing so in a lot of mm. in a lot of cases. Uh, but uh, first, we'll uh, open up here with our uh, I get I you know. I guess the lead of this thing has got to be Mike Durant. Uh, I, I would say, oh, without question, yeah. Um, you know, it's we uh, Bill Britt and I wrote a story this week, uh, which we went back and we found some old um, newspaper reports about Mike Durant. And you know, when you say old newspaper reports, people are like, well, old news, and I, you know, to a degree, I understand that in a lot of cases. But in this particular case, uh, those old newspaper reports uh, dealt with allegations from Durant's sister Mary, uh, now Mary Ryan, uh, who uh, alleged uh, that her father, Leon Durant, Mike's father as well, uh, their father, uh, had molested her from the time she was a toddler until she was 19 years old uh, at points uh, daily. Uh, from the age of about 14 to 17, she said it was pretty much daily abuse. And um, mm. Mm. it, um, uh, you know, she she went through a lot of trauma, as you might imagine. And then um, at some point she decided that she was going to kind of fight back against this. Uh, and she forced her father to sign an agreement that made him uh, uh, seek therapy himself. This was in exchange for her not pressing criminal charges against him. Right. Um, uh, he, had to, he had to seek therapy. Uh, he had to pay for her therapy. Uh, he had to pay for her medication. He could not be around you know, children and things like that. And so um, he agreed to this thing. And she also informed her family of what had taken place, and, mm-hmm. including Michael Durant, uh, who at the time had not yet been captured in Somalia. Uh, you know, he's obviously the famous Black Hawk Down guy uh, that who portrayed in the movie uh, Black Hawk Down. Uh, and um, he uh, he confronted his father. Uh, and matter of fact, and we know this because Michael Durant wrote his sister Mary letters uh, in which she shared with the Associated Press uh, mm-hmm. at the time in 1994 as when these uh, when this was taking place. And um, in those letters, uh, Michael Durant uh told his sister that he had confronted his father about this. His father had admitted 
to this abuse, uh, had started crying and admitted everything. Uh, and he, uh, Michael Durant told her how sickening the whole thing was, how he was upset about this, how it was, uh, he was so sorry it had happened. And if uh, she needed anything, she could always call him. And if he gave her enough time, he would even be there for a hug, you know, if, mm-hmm. uh, if he could. And then three years later, uh, Mary Durant files a lawsuit against her father because he's not carrying through with this and with his agreement. And so at that time, a TV news station asks Michael Durant about this. And on this TV news program, he says essentially that his sister's making it all up, mm-hmm. that she's lying about it, that, uh, you know, there's no way he's a great father. There's no way that this could be true, that her si- his sister has a lot of problems that she needs to work through. Yeah. Um, and then continues to stick with this story about how this is not true. And so that then... Mary Durant shares the letters with the Associated Press that says, you know, listen, this is the same guy who said this. Uh, right. And so at that point, they call him and say, hey, you know, what about these letters, man? <laughs> and uh, he's like, oh, no comment. Uh, listen, that's something for the courts to work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to this day, has never really explained to anyone, including uh, Mary Durant, why or Mary Ryan at this point? I'm sorry. Uh, why he he did this? Why he had such an about face? And you know, I, she doesn't really have a good explanation other than this was the easiest path for him. Uh, you know, to to tell his story and to paint this picture of this you know great military war hero family. And, well, you know, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I think I think the simple answer is <clears throat> he's he's following the grand American tradition of myth making. Yeah. So he he's building this myth about himself and his family, which he doesn't need to do. I mean, the man was a POW. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, he he's already a military hero and deserves, you know, the acclaim that he gets for being a military hero. All politics aside. Uh, but but for him to. Hmm. It's. It, you know, yeah. Josh. See, see, see. You, you, you're making the same face and the same noises that I made when I start trying to reason this out in my head because I start yeah. exactly as you do, and you, and you go down this path saying, "Well, you know, he's trying to create this thing," but then you stop and you think, "But wouldn't the better story have been I stood yeah. up for my sister?" Yeah, and and not only would that have been that that would have been the better story, and it certainly. I think would have it would leave less questions about his character. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and that's the yes. thing that, you know, right now I think I don't care how conservative you are or how much of a Republican you are, you gotta have questions about a man's character if he can't stand up for his sister. Yeah. Not especially not just, when the not father just not standing said, up. He discredited her. He right. went publicly and described. Right. All he had to say was, and "Is this is a family issue?" That's it. He, he could have. That's right. He could have done that and just say, "You know, it's a difficult issue for our family. It's something that I'm not prepared to publicly discuss." Uh, but but I think you know he, he he as you said he not only did not stand up for his sister he discredited her, but his father gave him the way out really and truly. The father confessed to this, right? Mm-hmm. It's in the yes. This is what Mike Durant has said in his own in his own handwriting that the father confessed. He had his way out. He still could have 
told his story in a way that was going to, you know, meet his political objectives without having to discredit his sister and to lie, basically. Mm-hmm. It raises serious, you know, character questions. And I don't care how conservative you are, or Republican you are, it should be a problem. And I really think that it's. I think he has set himself up to be the Roy Moore of 2022, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it's a, it's a similar, you know, it's a similar kind of problem. I mean, it's not the exact same thing. We're not saying that Mike Durant has molested anybody or seduced anybody. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But I'm saying that the, but this, this, the, the, the similarity of the problem is this devaluation of women mm-hmm. um, and this, and this, um, and this dishonest, kind of approach to the devaluation of women. So there's the lying, there's the devaluation of women. You know, I if I were if I were a voting conservative Republican, I'd have a major problem with this. I, I just I can't imagine what God, I mean it, it's just the the betrayal of it, mm-hmm. you know? That's what that's what sticks with me the most is is kind of the the betrayal of of your sibling. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, and in talking, you know, to her, I mean, it was, you know, at this point, you know, she says she's forgiven him. Uh, and, and this is not something that, uh, you know, she, she didn't want to get involved with, uh, she, she's not, uh, you know, interested in, in the politics of it. Uh, she doesn't want to, to she's cut off, uh, her, from her family and she's not going to have any contact with him. Um, and it, it's, it's just a, I mean, can you imagine just being in that position where something this awful has happened to you and the only people in the world that are supposed to stand up for you and protect you and comfort you, sell you out mm-hmm. for the person that hurts you like that. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we're talking about with with her yeah. and w- with Michael Durant. I mean, you know, they were very close, and, uh, and and he he sold her out on this. And it's just it's just I mean, to to think of it in those terms, that those human terms, is the reality of it. You know, forget the the stupid ass politics of it. You know what I mean? And just and just think of it. And I mean, my God, just you know, how what sort of a person can can do that? I just don't understand it. I don't. I mean, I've never wrapped my head around that. And and what it's forced her to do. I mean, you know, she's she's now completely disconnected from her family. Uh, and I would assume that unless there's some sort of uh, accountability mm-hmm. that she's going to maintain that for, for good reason. I mean, yes. God bless her. She, you know, people don't understand sometimes that even that it is better to be estranged from toxic family members than to be uh, continually subjected to that toxicity. Yes. You know, especially around something like this. So God bless her. And she's doing the right thing for herself and for her husband and children. And I think she's got one child, I think, or, or mm-hmm. children. Yes, she does. Yeah, she has a son. Yeah. yeah. She's doing the right thing for them. But I'll tell you what, um, what, what a thing to have to force somebody into. Yeah. You know, I, I again, I just, you know, from a character standpoint, I don't, I don't get it. 
Yeah. You know, and, I, I and I'll say that. this too, you know, in, in light, uh, I want to, cause this was the other thing, you know, well, part of what in the discrediting that, that Michael Durant did of his sister, he said that, uh, you know, the, that she was suing him for $5 million and that was just nothing more than an attempt to grab headlines. Um, and, the reality of the situation is, is that she went to the police after her father refused to carry through on the agreement. She went to the police and attempted to press charges. Mm. Uh, and AP contacted the police chief in that town, Berlin, New Hampshire. And um, and he he confirmed that she tried to, but the statute of limitations had expired on those mm. crimes. And so that's the reason why she decided to file the lawsuit. And she said that she chose $5 million because she knew they didn't have it. And so she wanted to, ha- to, to have a number where they would then be forced to do what she wanted them to do, which was didn't didn't have anything to do with money. She didn't want their money. She, what she wanted was him to follow these agreements. And ultimately, I think uh, settle, the, the settlement out of court got some of those things. But she said ultimately it was a bust and uh, nobody was ever going to hold him accountable for these things. Uh, and so it, it, you know, she just decided to cut off contact. And then he ultimately died in, in 2010. And, um, you know, and but that's I mean, it, it was so I mean, it was. All you had to do was say nothing, and and instead he just went on TV. He went on TV and said these, you know, that she's lying basically about this. I'll tell you something else that that's nagging at me about this. I could actually sympathize with Durant if the if if when he had gone to the father, the father had been adamant in saying, yeah. Son, this didn't happen. I, mm-hmm. I swear on your mother's life. I swear before God, this didn't happen. And and um, and I, you know, your sister needs help. I've tried to help her. Mm-hmm. You know, if he had taken, if that was had been his response, I could better understand Durant being, uh, you know, so conflicted that he just says, you know what, I, I. You know, based on my view of everybody, I'm siding with my dad on this one. Yeah. You know, now I'm not saying that 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 what he the way he did it, the way he executed it would have been the right way to do it. But I can at least understand him taking that position. Certainly. You know, certainly. Uh, yeah. That that he was going to side with the father. But but <laughs> but for him to confess to his sister in this letter that 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 the father had indeed confessed to it. Mm-hmm. That's just mind-boggling that he know, takes the man. position that he does. It's just so crazy. It's so crazy, and that's why I'm saying that part of the reason why I, you know, I, I I wanted to do the the story about it was I, it was so off the wall bonkers that he made this about face that I thought, you know, when you say something like that that's so crazy, you often think. There's got to be an explanation for that. You know what I mean? There's got to be. There's something. There's something that went down. And I, I thought that's what we were going to, you know, we were going to get from them was, uh, well, listen, what actually happened was, you know, my father says, you know, and, and t- he was going to say that there was another story to this whole thing. And, and, but no, no, we get this nonsense, this statement from his, from his campaign about career politicians being worried and, uh, how, uh, the, even his sister's lawyer at the time admitted that, uh, that Michael Durant didn't have anything to do with the abuse. No one said he had anything to do with the abuse. Mm-hmm. That's not the story. Nobody mm-hmm. thinks that he was abusing his sister. I mean, for God's sakes. But that, again, that's the kind of tap dancing you do when you know you've been caught. Yeah. You, know, you, I guess. you don't. You don't address the real issue. You you create straw men. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, 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 and I honestly, I kind of feel bad for his PR guy on that. I, I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent sure, which means I'm fifty fifty, uh, that he had no idea about this. Uh, that they they were caught completely off guard by these stories because if you if you Google up the these things and put in the the correct search terms, you can find stories about his sister filing this lawsuit. But what you can't find are stories in which this about face took place, uh, where where Durant admitted uh, you know, to, to having the confession from his father in these letters. That that story you you cannot find anywhere. And uh and so uh it you know, you gotta go to the to the actual papers in, in New Hampshire and some other places uh to be able to find that. And it's and, and it ran, you know, the way we found it was it ran in a in a Tennessee newspaper. Um because Michael Durant at that time was was living in, in Tennessee uh when the story ran. And so it, it that's where it ran. And I, you know it just is it's just a terrible, terrible so, story all the way around, and you know. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. You, let me ask you a question. I mean, if you can, if you can, you know, you you may not be able to share your sourcing and your processes, but I'm just curious to know what. How did this even come to your attention? Well, uh, so some as with a lot of things, somebody somebody gave a tip, uh, and and it was just, hey, you know, you might want to check into this. There's more to it. And so, um, you know, we uh, we started digging at that point and, uh, you know, you find the initial stories and and you think, well, and then so we also kind of dug up the uh, we tried to dig up the court case itself, which would have apparently given a lot more information uh, that was uh, very unkind to to Michael Duran and the rest of the family. Um, But I'm going to tell you something you're probably not aware of because I was not aware of it. Uh, federal court cases are held for only about a decade. Uh, they are archived for only about a decade on the federal court system, uh, at which point they are then moved to the National Archives. And, uh, and not all of them are moved to the National Archives. Only some of them are moved to the National Archives uh, because the Nas- they're sent over there and the National Archives makes a determination on whether or not they want to keep those or they want to destroy them. And so the case, of course, against Leon Durant, filed by Mary Durant, uh, was chunk. It was hmm. destroyed. And so there is absolutely no court record maintained uh, on this case. So I tried to call the attorneys that were involved to see if they might still have copies of the, uh, uh, you know, the case files and things like that that, that went with it. But uh, I didn't really get anywhere with that. Of course, those attorneys, you know, it was 30 years ago. So most of those attorneys have either died or moved on or, you know, I've, you know we're trying to track them down in different states and other things. And so it, it was uh, we you found basically we found one story. And it was the one from Tennessee. And then we kept looking for others. And, you know, there's some there's some pretty good resources out there for that. Nexus Lexus, yeah. uh, newspapers.com, uh, some some other places where you can dig up old newspaper articles and stuff. And then, you know, once you find some things, you can go, you know, through the library system. And a lot most of the libraries have microfiche uh, copies of old newspapers uh, from right. around the, their states. And so uh, you can you can dig through those things as well. Uh, and so those are, are pretty good resources. And so that's how it works uh, is, uh, you, you, you know, you find you just you, you tug on one thread and, and keep pulling. And so, so, but it started, and that really was what I was asking. It started with a tip, huh? yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm. just somebody saying, "Hey, I think there's more to this than you know than what meets the eye." Mm-hmm. So, 
Uh, and that was all the information that was given was that was there's a mm-hmm. little more to this. And so and it was probably a little bit of luck that we, we dug up that that first newspaper story. Do you have you gotten a sense as to whether or not this is having an impact on his campaign, his campaign or is it too? It's hard to tell. tell. I, I, I can't imagine that it's, it's not going to have an impact on it. I mean, how, you know, how do you you know what I'm saying? How do you how do you get past that? Um, at this point, it, the problem is, it, is that right now he's he's not a very well known guy, um, you know, and so it's when you're not a well known guy, there's not a lot of support to lose, I guess, uh, and so there, I think he was growing that campaign was growing, uh, and so you know maybe it's just a situation where it just stunts the growth, uh, and and they they have to stop it, uh, but right. I, I just I can't imagine that there are women out there that are going to vote for this guy after this. I mean, I just, I can't, I can't fathom it. Uh, you know, just from the ones who I've talked, I've spoken with, right. they are, they are unhappy uh, with, with what has taken place with this. And I can't, I can't say that I blame them. And uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a shame to break it down into uh, you know, a family situation in the politics, but I think it does speak to the character of the person that's involved in this, you Without know, it's, uh, you know, yeah. what, you know what? If nothing else, the decision making that he's going to have. You know what? Mm-hmm. How can you trust somebody that's going to make such awful, awful decisions when, you know, when even faced with just protecting his sister? Um, yep. it, I don't know. It's man. It's it was a just so, a terrible story all the way around. Oh, it's horrible! It's horrible! And I, you know, this is. I mean, this this sort of thing is is far more common than we would like to believe in our nation. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've said more than once uh, to people that I literally have lost track of how many women I have, I, that have been in my life as friends or lovers or, or, or whatever in my life as family, whatever, uh, who have this as a part of their background. It's yeah. just, it's just really, uh, it's it's a it's just sad, just very sad. It, it is, it is. Um, yeah. And I the, even have some male friends who have it as part of their background as mm-hmm. well. Now, I got another question for you before we uh, get out of here and get to Kyle Whitmire. Mm-hmm. Um, if if indeed this does have the impact that that we suspect it will. Mm-hmm. Who get who gains from it politically? Is it Mo or is it Katie Britt? You know, man, that's a tough question. I don't really know the answer to that. Um, hmm, that's a good question. I because I, I I suspect what my my prediction overall for this. I, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just go by what I thought was going to happen in this. And so, what I thought was going to eventually happen is that. Uh, Michael Durant was going to ultimately overtake Mo Brooks in this mm-hmm. race, uh, mm-hmm. and that he would uh, get into a runoff with Katie Britt. Uh, at which point, uh, you know, I think it would have been, uh, you know, a pretty good race between those two. Uh, so, I guess in a way, maybe both of them do. You know, maybe this allows Mo Brooks to get into the runoff, uh, and maybe it makes the pathway a little easier for Katie Britt. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, and so it's, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure 
if there's one that has helped more than the other. Maybe maybe Mo Brooks has helped more in in the sense that I don't think he can beat Katie Britt. I don't I don't think he could beat Michael Durant um, in in this race um, because I think his ceiling is limited uh, on what he can get, you know, voter wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I do think that. Um, uh, this this probably helps him more because it keeps him in the race and makes him at least seem viable for longer. Um, and so, yeah, it, which let me tell you this, that, that was the other thing, of course, because the uh, you know the statement, the career politician statement that they the Durant campaign sent out about this, mm-hmm. uh, of course, implied that Mo Brooks was behind this. First of all, if you think that Mo Brooks and that team of goobers that he's got could put together. This story, get the hell out of here, my man. All right, they couldn't find this. If you gave them a hundred years, they wouldn't have found this. They wouldn't have found this for a hundred years. All right, so the idea that somebody was behind this, other than it just being, hey, somebody knew about this story and they tipped off some reporters in Alabama about what was taking place uh, in the uh, you know in years past. Uh, yeah. I mean, get out of here, man, Mo Brooks. And 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 the other part, number two, uh, do you think Mo Brooks is calling up us of all? You think he's calling me? Mo Brooks' <laughs> team is calling me. I mean, get out of here. For God's well, that sakes. almost that almost leads to my final question, Josh, which is that uh, I wonder if now that you have you and Bill have done this uh, this excellent reporting, mm-hmm. do you think that either Britt or Brooks will use it? Oh, I can't them. imagine they wouldn't use it. I mean, uh, I mean, come on. Yeah, of course. I well, mean, I mean, I, the reason I ask is, you know, they're, and I know we're in a different era now that Trump has corrupted, infiltrated and corrupted the Republican Party. But, yeah. you know, the rule is always, you know, they've, they've usually tried to follow the Reagan rule of, you know, that, that 11th commandment of not, uh, you know, not speaking ill of another Republican. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I wonder, I mean, this, this is, uh, you know, this, this would certainly, I think, rise to that level of being well, a violation I, of that Reagan commandment, don't you think? They, they have not, they have not shied away from a lot of this stuff already. You know, Brooks has been pretty nasty with, with Britt and with, and with Durant and, uh, Durant has, has taken some shots at Katie Britt as well. And, uh, so, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't know if anybody's really following that anymore, uh, anyways. But e- even if they were, oh, well, you know, they're gonna they'll follow the old track of you know a pack would send out. You know, oh, I didn't know anything about this pack. Who was this pack? Who who even who even did this? You know, and there would be an ad that ran on everybody's television station uh, for you know the next you know, 90 days, uh, every single commercial break. And it would be sponsored by some pack of, you know, people who hate mobrooks.com is responsible for the contents of this advertisement, you know, and it would just be that, you know, and, and so, and everybody would act like they didn't have any idea who it really was, but, um, you know, but it wouldn't be the candidates themselves. They didn't approve that message. So, you know, uh, it's, so that's the way that would work. But, you know, I, I, there's no way that if they deem, uh, Durant uh, to be a, a bit of a, a challenger in this still. 
uh, you know, let's say two, two or three weeks pass and they take a, they, you know, get new polling numbers out and Durant hasn't faded as much as they wanted him to, uh, then I would assume somebody will put together an ad and, and try to crush that campaign and talk about him selling out his sister. And so will he not, you know, how can you trust him? How can you trust a man to stand up for Alabama when he wouldn't even stand up for his own sister? You know, mm. so. And listen, I'm free for voiceovers if you need it. Um, <laughs> do a little voice work for you. Uh, got you, narration. I got you. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So on that happy note, uh, let's get ourselves out of here. We'll get uh, Kyle Whitmire in here, talk about his stuff. And, uh, and you know, and then we'll wrap this baby up with uh, our friends in Florida uh, <laughs> who are doing awful things. As Back usual. in a minute. Alabama politics this week. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back in. We are happy now, David and myself, to have with us uh, Kyle Whitmire, columnist for AL.com and uh, all around uh, rabble rouser, um, you know it's uh, yeah. I, I think uh, I think Kyle probably gets more hate mail than I do. Um, you know, just because of the platforms uh, and uh, uh, but uh, it's this this project uh, that you're working on, State of Denial. Uh, it's uh, it's ambitious. I was joking with you before we came on that uh, it's it's job security. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, hell, you know, they put it out there now. Now they can't get rid of you. At least you're there for a while. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but I, I guess, man, uh, you know, first welcome and thanks for for coming. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Uh, and, and but you know, kind of tell people what it is that uh, this project and how it came about. What what made you launch down this never ending path of of, of racism and, and white supremacy. Well, let me, let me, let me talk about the second question first. Um, last legislative session was bitter. There's a lot of acrimony division. And I know it's like that every year. Um, but it seemed nasty and personal in a way at the end that I hadn't seen before. And you know, Chris England and I were talking about it for a, a piece later in this series. And he he said, you know, the, the legislature legislature is kind of like wrestling. Right. It's always been the joke. It's not real. Right. Except now people are hitting each other with chairs and they're beginning to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that and I said, you know, I kind of I'm kind of done, not done, but writing just the, the, the daily column, but I, I feel like I've been writing, building a lot of sandcastles, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know how that is. You do a piece of work, it's there, you know, it, it makes a, a big impact for a day or two and the tide comes out and washes it away. And I wanted to take 
a bigger look at these issues and, and see like uh, how we could have a you know something that has a little do some work that has a little bit more permanence and think about the big picture problems in ways that I can't I haven't done with with my regular column mm-hmm. and you know the obvious target. And I think every every newspaper columnist uh, in Alabama at some point has put the Constitution of 1901 in their crosshairs mm-hmm. uh, because, I mean, it is the racist foundational document of 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 our state. And I started researching that and. I got really into the second piece of this before I, my editor kept trying to, you know, they kept asking me for what's the elevator pitch? What's the nut graph? How do you describe what it is? And I, I found it when I was about halfway through the second piece, there's a scene in there. It's um, if you haven't read it, there's, it's about a, a, uh, a race massacre in 1874 and you follow and there's a moment where this U.S. Marshal who's sort of I, I, I don't want to break things out into villains and heroes because I think that's part of our problem, how we look at history. But he's he's one of the good guys. Uh, he's a U.S. Marshal. He's there to keep the peace. And he runs when the shooting starts, he runs to the U.S. Army captain and tries to get his help to mm-hmm. stop this this massacre that's happening. and. He gets into this really ridiculous argument over their orders, and the captain shows them their orders that says that they can only assist U.S. Marshals with serving writs. And this U.S. Marshal takes out his uh, takes out subpoenas, uh, a handful of subpoenas, out of his pocket. He's like, "I've got uh, these." These are subpoenas, right? Subpoenas are writs. You can help me with these, right? Just give me some men and we'll go take care of things right now. And he's like trying to like crack the door open for them to do what's obviously right. And it felt like in this scene when it was playing out, it felt like uh, in part, it felt like January 6th. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, and this is all from from testimony before Congress. This is how I built this on. So this is sworn testimony about this. We, we know what happened there. But also kind of felt like, and, and some readers I'm, I'm glad have have seen this and, and this got across, it felt like Afghanistan. It felt like Iraq. And that's where the epiphany happened for me, which is that we have these squabbles over the Civil War and what the causes of the Civil War were. And you know that's sort of been done Mm-hmm. But Alabama and in particular, the South in general, had the reset button hit on it by the Civil War. And we have this period that follows Reconstruction and the post-Reconstruction period, or as I call it, the unreconstruction period. And I believe Reconstruction was America's first experiment in nation building. And it failed for many of the same reasons and in many of the same ways that all the other attempts that we've had since then at nation building have failed. The occupiers got tired. They lost sight of their mission. They lost their enthusiasm. They got sick of it and decided they wanted to go home. Uh, The people they ostensibly conquered 
uh, outlasted them, out, you know, that they, they were tenacious and they, they bided their time and they waited. And eventually, in 1876, when they pulled the plug on reconstruction, just as we've seen in Afghanistan, just as we've seen in Iraq and other places, those they were, were occupying very swiftly, very violently reverted back to their old ways to the detriment of the people that the occupiers were supposed to be there to protect, in this case, now freed Black Americans. Mm -hmm. And it is in this period that we don't have, we don't really talk about it or we don't address it very well in our in our history curriculum. You know, I grew up in Alabama public, I went to Alabama public schools. You know, we learned that carpetbaggers and scalawags were these sort of outside agitator opportunists that came down here and had this, you know, uh, were very predatory and uh, predatory in nature. Uh, but these were folks who were trying to do a, a social reordering of the South that was ripped out and rejected the moment that they left. And it's in that moment that we craft Alabama, we, we build Alabama government. It's, that's when first through the 1875 Constitution and then later the big one, the 1901 Constitution, our system of government that, that cracked the door open for Jim Crow, for uh, convict uh, labor, everything that followed after that has its origin in that, that window. And I think it's, you know, if, if, if we can explain that time, then we can explain this time. I say at the end of one of the pieces, you know, trying to, to talk about history, you know, talk about where we are today without understanding our history is like trying to walk into a movie when it's halfway over and, and keep up with what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's really important that we, we look at um, that era and look at how we memorialize our history in Alabama uh, through our iconography, our law, our culture, uh, and, and figure out a way to come to grips with what the truth really was. Uh, and it's only after we, we do that and, and hopefully, you know, do some other things too, maybe rip up this 1901 piece of junk and start over again. Uh, that we can have the future that we deserve. Yeah, um, you know what? What often gets me, and this is a little, I guess, outside of you know, your your stories you've written so far. But I think that you know, given all that you just said, uh, I think it's a, it's a, a fair question to to ask you is you know, because it seems like. You go back because one of the things you mentioned in your stories is, uh, you know, the, the very brief period of time that Alabama was the capital of the Confederacy. Um, yet we hold on to that as though that we were, you know, the the Confederate capital for decades. You know, right. and this was this is how we were founded as the Confederate uh, capital. And we were just overtaken by these uh, these bastards from the north. Uh, and, you know, it. But we weren't. It was just a, sh a brief period of time. And it was it, there was so much stuff that happened outside of Alabama. Um, mm. Yet we seem to grasp this so tightly, more mm. so than almost any other. I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm going to say more so than any other state. Uh, 
We hold on to these to this confederate these confederate memorials and the this confederacy ideals uh, and, and this idea this is, that we're somehow rooted into these into these people into these ideas and stuff and and we hold on to it. Why? Why is it so big here with us? Well, I, I think as we'll, as we'll see when uh, a little further down the road in this series, um, what those folks in 1901 and before that in 1874 and 75 and 76 really tried to do was to create the Confederacy by a different name. They tried to create a, a sort of Confederacy 2.0 that could exist within the federal system, that they didn't have to form their own country to do the same thing that they were doing before the war. And that lasted well into the 20th century, really up until the civil rights movement. Like that legacy of Jim Crow is just Confederacy 2.0. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there, there's still a lot of that that's still with us. But what it required to, uh, to keep that going was to convince Alabamians. And you'll, man, I, I, I I don't want to give too much about the third installment of this away, but <laughs> it required teaching out, you know, creating. We, we, I hate to use it. There's a lot of, um, you know, James Carville calls it the, the teacher lounge language, you know, but there's the lost cause myth. And yeah. I don't want everybody to tune out then. But we created our own mythology in Alabama. And I say we, I mean, white elites created a mythology in Alabama about how we came to be and where we came from that explained all this, that our identity is tied together with this repressive structure that we have. Um, And I I think that if you let go of the Confederacy, then this power structure is sudden that we have in this state is suddenly in jeopardy. And a lot of people don't, don't want to mess with that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If you go to the Alabama Capitol today, and this is sort of where I start the start the series, the Alabama State Capitol, C A P I T O L, was the capital of the Confederacy for three months. You'd think it was the only thing that ever happened there. Yeah, I know, right? You go in that building. There's all this iconography. There's statues. I mean, for, for Pete's sake, you climb the steps out front and the first thing you see is a man from Mississippi, Jefferson Davis. Can't we find our own unrepentant Confederate racist to put on the Capitol steps? Yeah. <laughs> find one from Alabama? I mean, uh, uh, yes, all we're short on them, you know? they didn't really like. I mean, here's the thing we don't really talk about. They didn't like Montgomery because Montgomery then was still like 4000 people. It was tiny. It wasn't the cosmopolitan southern city. So the moment that they could get to Virginia, they did. Yeah. Um, And it's it's sad because so much has happened there. Uh, Whether it's, you know, the the Selma rights marches, uh, you know, it's even, you know, if you want to, I mean, so much has happened there. Including bad things. And and that's the other thing that I think gets lost. And what I hope I I capture in that first piece is we focus so much on the Confederacy. There's nothing in that building that I found. And I I spent a day there walking around. 
um, there's nothing in that building to say this is where they they made the Constitution of 1901. And the other thing I want to get across to people, because whenever you use the term white supremacy, there are just a lot of folks out there who immediately shut down and they they don't want to hear it. That they're going to no, 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 not going to hear that. They're not listening. But I do want to show people that this was explicitly what the framers of that Constitution had in mind when they sat down to make it on the second day, which is really the first day of real business. uh, John Knox, the chairman of the convention, gets up and gives this. First, he tells a racist joke. And then he gives a speech about how we are here to establish white supremacy by law. And then this should give everybody chills. They start talking about ballot security. Mm-hmm. Right? So this was, I was going to say this was like last week, right? Yeah. It, it, you start running into things that and when I was tell, I'll give away part of part three. I, I'm looking at a woman named Marie Bankhead Owen who started the State Department of State Archives and History mm-hmm. and really did a lot of the hard work, you know, framing Alabama history in these in, in Confederate terms and this lost cause myth. But there is a moment where she found out that a teacher in Montgomery was teaching students that Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee were traitors. And she flips out. She goes and gets the daughters of the Confederacy, and they begin a campaign basically to make sure that no such thing is being taught in any schools in Alabama. They create a network for reporting it if such things are being taught in Alabama. What? And they create a campaign and they create a strategy for how to go in and stop it where they find it. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. yeah I was going to say, David, does this sound like a, this sound like a right wing note of the week, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we got to make sure that in there a bill currently in Florida, making, making sure white people are not uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. And it's, it's scary because you, 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 you know, there, there's a book I have, I think I may have put it on my other shelf. It was written by Bailey Thompson, uh, an editorial writer from uh, the uh, from the Mobile Press Register, and Ron Casey, an editorial writer from uh, the the um, from the Birmingham News. As a friend of mine gave me a few years ago, and I cracked it open, and I'm like, "Oh my God, this is what I write about today. This is what Josh writes about. This is what Archibald writes about. We're just like a, a reincarnation in some sort of time loop." This yeah, is it's a, it's a Matthew McConaughey oh, no. flat circle, baby. That's all it is. Time is and a flat I, circle. Well, you skip to the end, and it turns out that Ron Casey, after they they beat their heads against this wall and stressed out over this for, for all these years. Ron Casey and Bailey Thompson both died of heart attacks. I'm like, I, I better start taking some uh, some baby aspirin and getting on a treadmill, or else same thing's going to happen to me. But but I mean, but I'm still going to try. I mean, I still think that we're obligated to try. I mean, I've had people say, "There's no way you're going to get a constitutional rewrite." Well, but I think there are other things that we can do aside from a constitutional rewrite uh, to to make things better and. You know, I'll I'll get at some of that later in the series. Well, you know, uh, Josh and I were talking earlier about uh, before you came on, Kyle, about 
our our days in the newspaper business. And there was uh, a period when I was on the uh, Huntsville Times as editorial board that we joined with uh, the folks at the Birmingham News and the Mobile Register to do a series, a huge series on the 1901 Constitution and why it needed to be, uh, you know, trashed and redone. And there was also uh, there was also a movement outside of the press. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the organization was, but there was a there was an organization, statewide organization, as I recall, outside of our newspapers that was trying to do the same thing. And so we were kind of working in concert. And uh, and it it you know I mean we seemed to get some momentum and then it just fell flat on its face. So I would advise you to keep the baby aspirin nearby. But <laughs> but 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 let me ask you let me ask you a question. Um, I first of all I read the I read the um, your first piece, which I just thought was brilliant. Um, sobering thank you <laughs> sobering well no i'm i, I, I paused I thank you I, seriously I, I appreciate that yeah i mean it, but it was just very sobering too i mean it was the kind of thing that as a writer and as a as a as a as a media person you know i was thrilled to see published i it was a it was an experience to read it a positive experience to read it but it also just kind of left me feeling you know, I had a jumble of feelings, you know, and so uh, I, I come, you know, you referenced your second piece, which, which I didn't know about. So while you and Josh were talking, I was kind of going through that piece and uh, this piece about the Ufala massacre, which I've never heard, had never heard of either. Um, and and I and I'm willing to bet most Alabamians haven't heard yeah. of. So I'm, I appreciate your writing about it. Um what I wonder, what one of my thoughts, honestly, Kyle, was as a black person, and I and this is not unique to me. I've talked to other black people who I think kind of have the same thought process, especially those of us who are of a certain age. When I come into a small town, if I'm driving through a small town in this state or in Mississippi or Georgia, um, and I probably can throw Tennessee in there too, um, you know, one of the things that I do, especially if I have to get gas or, or stop to get something to eat, is I'm looking to see, are there any black people here? You know, and, 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 and you know, and do, do they seem to be, if they are, you know, so if I see some black people, then I think, okay, that's a good sign. And then I'm looking around and then I'm kind of looking to see, well, how do they, what does their disposition seem to be? You know, mm-hmm. but at least if I see them, I feel like, OK, this is probably this probably won't end up being a problem for me to be here. Right. Um, I want to ask you about you follow. What kind of town is that? You, you, you write about Andrew Forte. You said he had grown up there, moved away, came back. Uh, what kind of town is you follow? Is it the kind of town where if I drive in there, am I going to see black people? It is. Not unlike a lot of towns in the South that is majority white, but in the black belt. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the you follow is really, I mean, what is amazing to me about when I was researching this, and, I, and I'll, I'll try to get your 
the answer to your question, but I'm going to come at it sideways. When I was researching this, I saw so many names of places. I grew up in South Alabama. I saw names of places that I knew that were that were prominent in the the congressional hearings that were conducted into this instant and others. This was I, I had to narrow my focus on this, but there were things that happened at Livingston, Alabama and Utah and Mobile all at the same time. Uh, but what was shocking to me was just how further developed Eufaula and places like Livingston, Alabama were ahead of places that either uh, were smaller or didn't exist yet, like Huntsville and Birmingham. And what is sad, and this is the case throughout all the, the, the Black Belt, but I think Eufaula too, it just hasn't really grown. Uh, it grew for some time after that, but it's it's sort of stagnated and stunted. And I did have a conversation with Andrew Forte, who is the cousin of Barry Forte. I didn't mention that in the piece, but I think they're distant cousins, uh, Barry Forte, state representative. And, you know, he feels and I think there's something to this that not reckoning with this has sort of it's it's like it's like having heavy metals in the soil or something it's it's stunted the growth of of this community um and i think it would <laughs> if you go into ufaula and i try to i, I this is probably the first 700 to 1000 words of uh, what is a, a 5000 word piece uh what you're going to see are a lot of antebellum mansions you're going to see some beautiful old old live oak trees that they're very protective of there. At one point, Aldot tried to cut a bunch of them down and, and people freaked out. Uh, a lot of live oak trees that sort of form this canopy over the road. You're going to see historical markers for things such as churches, uh, the cotton mill that used to be there in town. Uh, you'll see a historical marker for the place where the Townspeople went and, uh, and and surrendered to the Union troops when they marched in. You'll, there's a, a, a Confederate hospital that is there at the other end of the strip in downtown. There's even, and this this was the part that really sort of drove me over the edge. There's even a little memorial there for a damn fish. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's a, a, a Back in the 70s, someone caught this record bass out of Lake Eufaula. They named him Leroy Brown, and they stuck him in a, in a live bait tank in a bait shop there in town where he lived for about eight or ten years. And when he died, like, they had a funeral for this fish, and they have a little marker there in the main strip. And right smack dab in the middle of town is the Confederate memorial that you see copies of all throughout uh, the South put there by the Daughters of the Confederacy early in the 20th century. Um, if those things make you feel uncomfortable, you're going to feel uncomfortable and you follow. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. there, there are, you know, black people who live there, mm -hmm. uh, but I still think they're struggling for their voice to be heard. And sadly, I, I one of the things I, I, I Encouraging emails are the emails that really like made me feel warm inside and sick at the same time that I've gotten since this piece ran. 
is how many people said, I grew up in Eufaula and I never heard about this. Wow. Mm. Wow. Every history book in this country has the Boston Massacre in it. Five people died in the Boston Massacre. I'm not saying it's unimportant. Yeah, yeah. But 10 people died there on the street, right next to that Confederate monument in Eufaula, just trying to vote. Right, right. Somewhere between 70 and 80 more people were shot and wounded. And there's a fire hydrant there. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. That's the only marker. That's the only marker. Yeah. And I, I, I don't mean to, to be flip about it, but there's just, there's just nothing there for this. No one's tried right. to, no one to preserve this memory. And that shows you, sadly, where the town's priorities have been. I hope coming out of this piece, publishing, because I have heard from people from follow who said, this is not right. We should fix this. Uh, but that will change. Uh, there is a marker in Comer, Alabama, which is near Spring Hill, where there was another um, some more violence that day. Uh, but, you know, it was put up in eight in 1979 and it refers to uh, a judge who was a prominent figure. You'll see him in the story as a scalawag. Um, you know, I asked Richard, uh, Richard Bailey, historian in Montgomery, is like, should we just stop using these terms? <laughs> and his, his answer was, well, these are not terms that they use to describe themselves, which I, I think pretty much answers the question. Um, but, you know, you follow this pretty. I think they're very nice people who live there. Um, I think they have inherited things that, they maybe don't know what to do with now, uh, but hopefully this rips the bandage off and, and people will, will start talking about this and they can figure out a way to reconcile it and, and make it a better place. Because well, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I don't have any animosity toward, toward Eufaula or toward Alabama. Um, while we were talking, I saw a little message pop up on my screen. Josh, I know you've never gotten an email like this. It says, uh, the subject line was there's 49 other states where you can live. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And my response is that mm. if I moved to one of those, though, I wouldn't be able to irritate people d- dip shits like you every day. So um, I once asked Wayne Flint how uh, how he responds to that question and or to that, that when he gets that kind of feedback and he says he tells them his family history and how far his family goes back here in Alabama and says we were here first. You move. Yeah. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, there you're the you one go. screwing it up for everybody, not me. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So what do you what do you what do you think? I mean, in terms of and this will be my final question, in terms of what you hope to achieve and what you think is actually achievable, mm-hmm. what do you expect the outcome to be of this series? Uh the first thing that I want to achieve is I want to give people a better sense of understanding about this window in Alabama history and really in American history between the Civil War and really the Roaring Twenties. We kind of skim past it in our history books, but you know there have been things that I've learned in the last year, and including about the Ufala massacre. I, this, how I found out about this was last year. During the, 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 the 
all of the the publicity over the the anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, the the Black Wall Street massacre, the New York Times published a map of other similar events throughout the country. And there was this little pinpoint on Eufaula, Alabama is like, what the heck happened in Eufaula? And I clicked on it and was like, oh, okay, I want to learn more about this. But I think there's this this window in, in American history that has been neglected that we don't really have a good sense of because uh, our, our our ancestors or our predecessors were embarrassed about it because it was really a period of backsliding in this country. And we learn things even now that are wrong. You know, we learned that, you know, I learned growing up that Harry Truman um desegregated the military. I didn't learn that uh, Woodrow Wilson segregated the military, mm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We learned that Jackie Robinson is the first black major league baseball player. No, there were black players that played with white players before it was just integrated, was, was segregated um, at the beginning of the 20th century. And I think it's very important that we understand that there was this awful period of what I call backsliding mm-hmm. of, of unreconstruction, not just in, in Alabama or the South, but throughout the country, because, you know, we have sort of this idea that history is this sort of steady progression from the imperfect toward the perfect. And while I think in the aggregate, that's true, it's not st- necessarily steady. It's not a straight line. It's not a smooth curve. Uh, we take steps forward and sometimes we take steps back. And I, th- I, I worry to everything that we see around us these days that we're having another period of regression. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can recognize and understand how this, this period of regression happened, at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th century here in Alabama, uh, hopefully we can we can recognize it in our lives today and figure out ways to stop it from happening. Well, I hope so, too. And, you know, the, the only thing you can do is provide the water. You can't make people drink it. Uh, you, don't you, know, sound, say, you don't sound very optimistic, Josh. Come on. Well, listen, I, you know, I, it's only because I've been around people. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, I, I, but no, listen, it's. What you've done is very important. It is. It, it's it's a, it's a very important thing that you've done and, and, and are continuing to do. And, um, and I want to leave you with this mm-hmm. and a piece that you'll see later. I, I had the opportunity to sit down with a, a couple sons of Confederate veterans and daughters of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. And we just had a chat. And I was just like, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hide the ball here. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I told him that you follow story. And I think to a person, everybody in that room thought there should at least be a marker there for that. They, they understood that, that was wrong, mm-hmm. but there was no, nothing there to memorialize that. Um, I'm not expecting everyone to sort of see the light and convert to my religion on the spot, whatever, you know, what right. this is I'm trying to do, but I think we can make progress and we can make change. And, um, Mm-hmm. Um, I have hope. Well, I listen. I, uh, and the reason why I say what you're doing is important is because you, you're, I, I think you're 100% right. You're not going to take those people that you're in the room with and, and, and make them believe like you believe in a matter of one 
you know, one column, one series, one conversation or things like that. But you put the information in front of people and and they know it and the knowledge that, that comes from it makes people more informed as they go forward. And I think that no matter whether they'll admit it or not, it changes them in a, in a small way. And I think you do that enough times and, and enough people catch on to it. And so I think that's the reason why I think it's so very important. And, and listen, I know we've kept you a long time here and, and, and we'll, we'll let you go because I know your daughter's going to wake up any minute now and we're going to have to do that. So, uh, but, uh, we're, we're pushing it now. I know. Listen, I feel it in my head that, you know, as a father, I feel, I feel that <laughs> clock, clock ticking. Uh, yeah, there's a clock ticking on that nap time and you know it's coming. Uh, but listen, man, we really appreciate you doing this and taking the time to talk about it. And yes. uh, you know, and keep it up. And if if you know we Please. can be of any service, let let us know, and and we'll certainly provide anything we can. Absolutely, David, Josh, thank you for having me on, and uh, y'all keep it up too. All right. Thanks. Thank that you. is Kyle Whitmire, AL.com. Y'all please uh, go, go and read that. Spread it around to everybody that you can. State of Denial. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful series. I'm going to keep going. Uh, and, and, you know, participate and you'll read it. Even if you don't, even if you think you're not going to like it or you know someone you know is not going to like it, send it to them. Make sure they read it um, and see, see, see if we can get this thing spread around. All right. We'll be back in a minute. Alabama Politics this year. everybody if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week uh, we've got a great way for you to do that uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com that's apwproducer at gmail.com anything about Alabama politics you want to know about uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever whatever your question may be uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? So shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back in. Uh, we've, uh, <laughs> we've experienced some technical difficulties in the break, which you'll be unaware of, but, uh, maybe, well, we'll uh, see. you know, yeah, maybe, maybe you might hear some of them or the aftermath at least. Uh, anyway, so we're, we're back and you have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, which is fine. Most people don't most of the time. Um, uh, you know, thanks to, to Whitmire for, for coming on. That was, uh, it was really, really good segment. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I'm gonna, we're going to follow up in just a second with uh, some stuff from uh, one of his colleagues, Dale.com, John Archibald, who had some hey. uh, really, really good pe- – uh, two two really good stories. You uh, know actually. something I, I need to make sure that um, that I say uh, again. Um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate the fact that AL.com has provided him with a platform to do what he's doing. I really yep. do. You know, mm-hmm. I used to work for the same company, writing mm-hmm. columns and, and, and whatnot. And and I just did not. I, I'm going to be very blunt here. I, I you know, I, I had come to believe after I left the company, I come to believe that they were not a very courageous company in terms of mm-hmm. confronting some of these deeply entrenched issues that we have in this state regarding race. Mm-hmm. But. Um, they apparently have left Roy Johnson alone, as far as I can tell, and they left. They've left Kyle and John alone, and and I and I give them a lot of credit for that. Give them a lot yeah. of credit for that. Yeah, I take you don't you don't know how much uh, how much heat 
uh, gets put on a lot of those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's because it's private and it's financial mm-hmm. um, and it is ugly and it is nasty and it is racist. Uh, it is from racist. It is about racism. Uh, it is um, it happens at a lot of places. Uh, that way. Uh, I know from experience, I know it happened at the Montgomery Advertiser. I appreciate Robert Granfeld, who was the publisher uh, for a large portion of time and, and some others uh, who were there that, that took a stand. Um, uh, you know, my editors who were there, Wanda Lloyd uh, and, uh, and Tom Clifford, Tom yeah, Clifford, especially to, uh, yeah. um, uh, they, they took a lot of, they took a lot of heat. Tom, Tom and Robert were the best at handling it. I'll say that. Um, they, um, <laughs> they 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 told a lot of people to go get fucked. I'll tell you that. Mm. I mean, it's uh, I mean, and and did not did not mince a lot of words, and they lost some money over it. Uh, they gained some money as well yeah. uh, from from some people. But you would be surprised. You would be surprised at the at the people who are very very openly uh, in, in private meetings. I'll say who very openly come right out and say the quiet parts out loud. Yeah. Um. And 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 put their money. Uh, with it, uh, you know, well, offer you money to to get rid of somebody, offer you money to get rid of columns, offer you money to stop doing certain things, mm-hmm. um, and, or threaten to pull money for doing certain. Yeah, things. I, you know, I had similar experiences. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm not privy to some of the stuff you just said, but but mm-hmm. I know that uh, I know that I caught um, when I was writing for the Huntsville Times. Uh, you know, uh, back in the, the uh, late 90s and early 2000s uh, on the editorial page, I know that, that there were people that would approach Joe Distelheim or Melinda Gorm or Bob Ludwig and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, you know, with complaints and criticisms. And, and I give them a lot of credit because, again, they gave me, uh, you know, they gave me latitude. Uh, my boss, my direct supervisor, John A. Hinger, editorial page editor, legendary editorial page editor, was right. tremendous in terms of uh, giving me a wide amount of latitude and freedom. And so I, I get what you're saying. And they they do take a lot of heat. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know about the offering money part and uh, or even the threatening to to not you know, uh, being advertised. I don't know anything about that kind of stuff, but I mm-hmm. definitely know about people calling and I was even sued once and uh, <laughs> the paper had my back, you know, and we won. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I had the, uh, I had the same thing uh, happen. Uh, you know, I, I was, um, I was sued. Um, I was, I was threatened by a, um, hmm by a former U.S. attorney. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I, and I, I, I didn't mention Sam Martin. Uh, Sam Martin was a publisher there for a while, too. Sam Martin was actually the one uh, who uh, who wanted me to start writing uh, political columns. Mm-hmm. And uh, after, after of all things, reading th- things that I'd said on Facebook. Um, mm. And so he wanted me to switch from, from sports to, to writing these things and gave me a trial run for writing a city column. And, um, and it, it worked out and, and Sam backed me at that point. Once Sam made a decision, it was kind of the same way with, with Robert and Thomas. 
well. Once they made decisions on, on you were going to write this stuff, then they would go, they would fight to the death <laughs> to defend you on things. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the way, it's the only way you can run it, you know? And, um, it, so you're right in, in the sense that they're, they're catching, I'm, I know they're catching a lot of heat from some of the stuff that John has written, uh, some of the stuff that, that Roy has written, um, and Kyle as well. And, um, it's to give, it's important. It's, you know, and, and here's the other thing about it. What, what helps them. And I, and I, I heard this from, from a couple of those guys that I mentioned that I worked with is it helps us a lot that you're right. You know, uh, yeah. that, that you're right about what you say, you know, you're right. Yeah. We're not defending somebody, uh, just for the fact that they, we have free speech and freedom of the press. We're also defending somebody who, who we believe what they're saying is right. And what we're saying is in the best interest of the majority of Americans. Uh, and, and you're, when you're calling out people for being wrong and being mean spirited and being racist, uh, you know, the, that is, that's very important stuff. And, and, you know, and, and I want to be clear too, when I say, you know, offering money or offering to pull money, I, I'm, I'm boy, and that down to the to the base level here and and you know because that's not the terminology that they use what they're talking about is advertising yeah, uh, you okay. know they say, oh, well, you know what yeah I, I just can't have my ads run with something like that you yeah. know yeah. uh and and you know i don't know how many times they had to move ads around to appease certain people uh mm-hmm. you know move them off of this page or move them off of the web page or not be on there when my column ran or well because they didn't want to be associated with me mm-hmm. uh you know and and it's just you know I don't give a shit. Don't be associated with me. Yeah, uh, you know. So it's a. Uh, it's like there. There's this great clip of of Larry David. I don't know if you have ever seen this. And they, they're they're interviewing him about the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And the first episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, they're basically doing a a bit about the red MAGA hat um, and how the uh, you, you know you can kind of spot you know people. You, you yeah. know those people with a red MAGA hat, and yeah. and he says, I think "I've you, seen some of that episode." I think, yeah, yeah. And he he had the interviewer asked Larry David, you know, he's like, you know, it's funny. He said, but there are a lot of people who who wear the red MAGA hat, and a lot of people who who are uh, who might be alienated uh, by this episode, uh, and they because they believe in what the red MAGA hat stands for. So, are you worried that you're going to? To, to alienate people. And Larry David starts with, no, go alienate yourselves, alienate. Uh, you know, I'd be alienated. I don't care. And then and he pauses for a minute and then calls the guy still looking at him, waiting on an answer. And he's like, oh, uh, no, I can give a fuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just that's so Larry David. Larry David. It's just that's so perfect, Larry David. you know. Yeah. And that's really the attitude that I've had with it. I'm going to write what I think is right to write. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you don't like it, okay. You mm-hmm. know, you can tell me about it. Maybe I'll respond. Maybe I won't. But I wrote it because I believed in what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's the way that we're going to roll with this. And and my, you know, people there, they believed in it as well. And so hopefully, uh, you know, I don't think it costs anybody their job. <laughs> All of them are there anymore. So, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe yeah, they we're all me. big boys and big girls. We, we ought to be able to have in a democratic society, we ought to mm-hmm. be able to have robust, uncensored conversations about the issues of the mm-hmm. day. Yeah. And, you know, we're not always going to be pleased with what somebody writes or what somebody says. But again, this is a free society. Mm-hmm. And the and the very definition of a free society is that a person that I vehemently disagree with 
mm-hmm. has the right to say and to live as they choose, as long as it doesn't infringe on somebody else's right. Yeah. And I, the moment that we depart from that, we're not a free society. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, you know, it's uh, what's always funny to me. We've tried a number of times to get Republicans to come on this show. We have never, ever. We've had John Merrill on here. Uh, haven't we had another Republican on here? Uh, uh, somebody yeah, else. Your, your buddy. Um... Oh, Dick Brubaker. Dick Brubaker. Yeah, was yeah. on was on with us. Yeah. We, yeah. we had great conversations with both of them. Mm-hmm. We, had, we, were not, we were not adversarial with them. We were not. Well, you know, well, Brubaker and I got a little, we got a little heated but, for a moment, but it was mine. It wasn't heated. Y'all, well, I was, mean, you just disagreed a little bit on something. It was, it was a direct disagreement, but yes. it, but but we certainly were not man-calling or at each other's no, throats or anything. we're not like ugly. Y'all were not aggravated with each other. You were just, you just disagreed on hey, Josh, a point about a some aggravated. things. Well, okay. All right. You weren't, I mean, but you weren't, you know, you weren't angry. You know, no, you I wasn't, I wasn't yeah, like I mean, ready to. Because God forbid you'd be the angry black man on the show. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, whew, we would lose people left and right. Yeah, uh, I wasn't you know, ready to slam to. To, to walk off the Zoom and try to find no. his house or something. I wasn't really I, And I guarantee you that both Merrill and Brubaker would, t- would say that they enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. They had a lot yeah. of fun with the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and that they would come back on here and do it again. But inevitably, when we ask people like that to come on, it is like pulling teeth. They want to know about the questions and the, what are you going to ask about and, and how, you know, how are you going to, you know, and it's, what are you talking about? You can't come on and, and defend what you believe. I mean, I, and I want to say defend, I'm not going to attack you. I haven't attacked anybody on this show ever. You know, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I do because I want people to hear what you have to say. You know, I want you to come on and tell people what you have to say. And then I will ridicule you mercilessly. for it. But I mean, <laughs> you know, it's still it's you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to do it in a way that is demeaning to you as a person. OK, right. you have your beliefs. I have mine. I have probably will think you are wrong in what you believe. But I can express that to you like two grown adults are having a conversation here. Right. OK. And right. and that it just is that, that we can't do that or that some people are so afraid of that now is so, you know, it's yeah. just frustrating to me. Yeah. It's just frustrating. And, and I'll tell you what it says to me is that. You don't believe really what you say you believe. Um, you don't believe that you can defend what you're outwardly uh, telling people. Um, and I mean, that honestly is is what I believe about a lot of people uh, that, that when they refuse to have these conversations, it's not because they, they don't want to have an argument. It's because they can't have an argument. Mm, they can't. They yeah, know that what yeah. they've said is so superficial that if you dig down an inch, they're lost. They can't find it again and they can't defend it. Um, and so, you know, that's how I. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but which, uh, by the way, if any, any of you would like to get in touch with us, it's apwproducer <laughs> at gmail.com. Apwproducer <laughs> at gmail.com. And make sure you spell out W uh, like w. that. It's the letter W. Uh, so it's that. But APW. Uh, producer at gmail.com. You can ask us questions or give us advice or make fun of us. Really. I would yeah. like to have some really funny 
emails where people make fun of us. We get emails with questions and serious stuff all the time, but uh, I guess, you know, people agree with us and they don't want to make fun of us. So um, <laughs> let's get to the, uh, let's get to the Archibald stuff. Um, yeah. Because this, this story, uh, which he had worked, he's worked on for a while now. It's about a little town uh, just north of Birmingham called Brookside. It's on Interstate 22. They have uh, six and a half miles of roads, uh, a mile and a half uh, jurisdiction along Interstate 22. Uh, they are what you would uh, call a speed trap. Uh, they or actually, you know what? Uh, they're not. It's not even a speed trap. They are uh, a crime trap, I guess you would say, or you know, charging trap, uh, because they're they from between t- uh, 2018 and 2020 uh, revenues from fines and forfeitures in the city of Brookside, this tiny little town of 1,253 people, uh, has soared 640 uh, percent. Uh, they have made, uh, there were just 55 serious crimes reported to the state in an eight-year period between 2011 and 2018. Mm-hmm. None of them homicide or rape. Uh, in 2018, the town began building its police empire, hiring more and more officers to blanket its six miles of roads and mile-and-a-half jurisdiction on Interstate 22. Uh, in 2020, Brookside made more misdemeanor arrests than it has residents. It went from towing 50 vehicles in 2018 to towing 789 wow. in 2020. Yeah. Uh, that's a uh, 1.7 toes for every household in the town. Hmm. I mean, they are currently facing at least five federal lawsuits uh, for people who claim all sorts of stuff took place, including a pastor who claimed uh, that an officer outwardly called him to his face, the N word. While telling him not to come yeah. back to the town. Um, it is. I, it is. I'll tell you how bad it is. I'll tell you how bad it is. Jefferson County Sheriff Mark Petway was quoted in this story, as was Jefferson County D.A. Both of them have serious, serious problems with Brookside. They spoke on the record about how terrible Brookside was. Uh, Petway, the sheriff, said, we get calls about Brookside quite regularly because they really go outside their jurisdiction to stop people. Most of the time people get stopped, they're going to get a ticket, and they're saying they were nowhere near Brookside. Police stops soared. That is, again, from Archibald's story. Uh, Police stops soared between 2018 and 2020. Fines and forfeitures, seizures of cars during traffic stops, among other things, doubled from 2018 to 2019. In 2020, they came to $610,000. That's 49% of the small town's skyrocketing revenue. I mean, 50%, man. Of the town's revenue is coming from these uh, from stopping people for BS crimes. Yeah, it's just insanity. Well, it is, and it's. But um, I mean, this is something that we've. You know, this is not a unique situation. I mean, we've heard about these kinds of situations, and and I think the rationale has been uh, that these small towns don't have, in some cases, they don't have any other source of revenue for the, the government other than these, um, than these tickets, these traffic stops, or they don't have any significant, I'll say, form mm-hmm. of revenue other than these traffic stops. So uh, I guess that's the, 
I guess that's the logic, uh, but it's but it's a bad look. And of course, the concern that um, I have, and I think that many of us have, is that uh, you then calls into question, uh, you know, who are they targeting, and are mm-hmm. they targeting one group of people disproportionately, you know, because of race mm-hmm. or or ethnicity. And, you know, and honestly, um, based on the history of this country, we know uh, and I know critical race theory people don't want to talk about this sort of stuff. But the reality is that the history of this country is such that that's what was done. You know, black people were targeted for uh, for for free labor, convict leasing, Um, you know, uh, black people had to pay a poll tax you know, related to voting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so it, it's not a, it's not a unique idea that a government, a state government or, or a municipality would target black people in order to uh, in order to uh, fill their coffers. That's just not yeah. a unique idea. Well, no, you're right. You're, you're 100 percent right in what you said. I, I don't want to uh, when, when I'm. But go go further here. I don't want it to 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 make it seem as though I'm disagreeing with you in any way because you're 100 percent right there. There are a lot of these little towns. There's another one, uh, pretty famous on a highway that uh, on the way to the beach uh, there that has just you know uh, for for years and years and years uh, has made just billions of dollars off of uh, speeding tickets uh, over the you know course of uh, t- 20 or 30 years uh, by by dropping the speed limit down for no apparent reason in certain areas and then sitting there waiting on people to come by. Um, knowing that they're they're just going to pay the ticket because they're on their way to the beach and they're not from there. Uh, so, but let me tell you, some of the stories that accompany this though make it uh, unique. L- listen, to this one that the article includes in the in the main story. Sandra mm-hmm. Joe Harris, a 52 year old grandmother, claims in a lawsuit she pulled off I 22 at Cherry Avenue on January 8, 2020, as she often did when she went to visit her daughter. It was nearing dusk, and as she drove into the neighborhood, she didn't think much about the unmarked black SUV with tinted windows on the side of the road. She turned on her lights, according to her lawsuit, because of the approaching darkness. But when she did, the unmarked SUV pulled into the street, crossed the center line, and sped toward her car, blue lights flashing. She was not speeding or breaking the law, she argued in the suit. She pulled to the side of the road as the SUV pulled up behind her, and a wrecker simultaneously parked nearby. It frightened her and led to more trouble. Officers dressed completely in dark, unmarked uniforms approached her, and one accused her of flickering her lights to warn others of their presence, her suit alleges. Unsure what was happening, Harris dialed 911, but an officer grabbed her phone, threw it to the ground, breaking it, the lawsuit says. Police put her in a patrol car and searched her vehicle for drugs. Harris's lawyers contend she was taken to the Brookside Jail, strip-searched, and told she could be jailed for up to two days. She had an asthma attack and a panic attack, but when she knocked on the door to alert a guard, a jailer said if she continued to knock, she would be charged with attempting to escape. Eventually, she was given an inhaler and treated by paramedics. Uh, Police charged Harris with flickering her lights or Nuisance of casting lights from motor vehicle on real property at night, which she argues did not happen, and that was eventually dropped. She was also charged with resisting arrest. The police report quoted in the suit claimed that she, quote, tightened her arm muscles while getting handcuffed. Hmm. Uh, In addition, police charged her with making a false 911 call. 
obstructing government operations by refusing to give proper papers, and disorderly conduct for yelling for others to come out of their homes. They let her out of jail at midnight, long after her family had made bond. Yeah, that's a clear abuse of power if all of that happened. That's a clear abuse of power. Uh, I mean, yeah. th- so there are a couple of points in there that, that uh, to highlight. Uh, one is all of their vehicles, except for one, are unmarked. Mm-hmm. They're unmarked cars uh, with tinted windows, so dark you can't see in them. Number two, the uniforms that they wear do not carry any logo signifying where they work, mm-hmm. who they work for. Mm-hmm. So they're and in the paper, in the court papers, they do not identify their officers by name. Mm-hmm. I oh, mean, yeah, I'd miss that part. OK, yeah, they, they, they identify them as agent and use their initials. Agent, mm. you know, J.M., uh, you know, agent D, uh, D.P. Uh, that's how they identify them in, in their court papers. Mm. Um, it I mean, this is like otherworldly. You know, I mean, it's like a, a military force uh, yeah, of some sort. Black ops, military, yeah. black ops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that auto, there, there's no way this is going to be allowed to continue. I mean, they're, they're, the feds are going to come in here and stop this. They, they've done it before, and they're, they're, there's no way this can, can go on. Um, and I, honest to God, what gets me is who the hell would allow this to begin with? Right. But, right. You know. So, yeah, that's a great question. Who would allow it? And and I also question a town that small, you know, where are they getting the resources to get these big SUVs like this and <laughs> yeah. these unmarked uniforms, uh, you know, because that, that really sounds more like a paramilitary kind yeah. of uh, situation. So you wonder, I mean, is it, is that coming from seizures or what? I mean, just what, what is really at the root of that? I'd like to know. But nonetheless, well, everything you what's at the root is an abuse of power. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, go ahead. Uh, what's at the root of this thing is, uh, is this infatuation we have with police and now and, and, the, and the idea that you can never question police and that uh, if you question them, you're somehow anti-police uh, and when that has never been the attitude of this country. I don't know how in the world this came about that you can never question a person in uniform ever again or what they do uh, or, or give them complete and utter deference in every situation because this is the shit that it leads to yeah. this. This is what happens when you do this. Uh, you know, you get people that go on these power trips and they're they're unchecked, and you 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 just you end up treating good people horribly, not stopping crime. This has not stopped any crime in that place. If anything, you could say the crime is greatest through the roof. Yeah. So anyway, not, so. But uh, I could rant on that for a long time. Uh, listen, check it out. It's AL.com, uh, uh, Archibald stuff. He's got another story, uh, terrible story about uh, what, what happened to a pastor and his wife and sister uh, when when they were stopped in that, that town um, and the the ridiculous trek that they went on. It was just a, a terrible story. And uh, But... You know, eventually we got to get out of here. But we do have uh, we do have to get to our right wing nut of the week. Yeah. Who is? Well, I think uh, we're looking at uh, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis and uh, members of the uh, of the uh, the GOP members of the Florida uh, or at least some members right now, at least of mm-hmm. the GOP. The majority of the Florida legislature. Yeah. The majority of the members of that. Right. Yeah. Because they passed this nonsense. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Did they actually pass it? I thought it was still in committee or it just. Well, the, the committee. committee. That's what I'm talking about. The the uh, of the committee. Uh, okay. The majority yeah, of the yeah. committee. Yeah. 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 So apparently they want to. Um, they want to pass a bill um, that will. <clears throat> um, <laughs> this is such a crazy. This is such a crazy description. Uh, they want to pass a bill that would prohibit public schools, and this is being reported by the Associated Press, that would prohibit public schools and private businesses from making white people feel, quote, discomfort, unquote, (laughs) when they're teaching students or training employees about discrimination in the nation's past. And so the Senate Education Committee there in the Florida legislature has approved this bill. And, uh, of course, the Republicans voted in favor of it and the Democrats opposed it. Yeah. Uh, so they don't want people to they don't want people to feel bad. Yeah. You they know, want them to you, feel bad. About let me tell you what history. caused me a lot of discomfort. Math. Yeah. If you block out all that damn math, that'll help me out a whole lot. That, that's the thing that made me feel discomfort. Uh, yeah. You know, the the teaching about, you know, what my ancestors did, you know, that was horrible for them, you know, for, for the people that they mistreated. And I and I swore I'd never uh, allow that to happen as long as I was around. But mm-hmm. and so I didn't really feel any real discomfort about that because I knew that the way to correct that was to make sure that I didn't do it and, and to you know make sure my kids don't do it. Uh, right. But what did make me feel uncomfortable as hell was all that trigonometry that they were trying to make me learn. <laughs> I didn't like that at all because it made me feel really dumb. So they're targeting the wrong the wrong theories, huh? Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be worried about uh, they shouldn't be worried about critical race theory. They should be worried about the Pythagorean theorem or whatever. However, the hell you saying? <laughs> yeah, get that. One. I remember yeah. that Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't because I never <laughs> learned it. <laughs> well, I remember. I, the know name. I don't know if I remember the exact formula, but this is a but this again is just uh, and there's a term, of course, that. That came into vogue, I guess it was uh, in 2020, 2021, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. White fragility, you know. Yeah. This, uh, this, this idea that that you know uh, we have to tiptoe around history so that you know uh, white people that are hypersensitive about the history mm-hmm. of the nation. Well, you know what? I, you know, I think it's interesting that the only group that I'm aware of that's asked to tiptoe around history uh, for the sake of white people is black people. To my knowledge, Jews aren't asked to do that, nor should they be, Mm -hmm. nor should they be. Uh, You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think native people are asked to do that and they certainly shouldn't be in this nation. Uh, You know, uh, but, but, you know, we don't want, we don't want to discuss, you know, the things about, you know, race in our nation that will upset white people. So we've got to now legislate this. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, you know, I, it's my people are snowflakes. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, we've, you know, uh, you know, all these are, you know, it's funny. These are all the same people who whined about participation trophies and how people were getting soft and all this yep. kind of stuff. These are the exact same people. You know, yep. they, they probably needed a participation trophy, maybe to boosted their self-esteem a little bit so they wouldn't be so damn sensitive right now. Mm. Uh, because these are the exact same people that, that were doing all this complaining about how soft everybody was getting. And they're the mm. softest ones of all out there. Can't even take a, a 
legit history lesson about what took place uh, and, and to learn about the culture that you live in and the oppression that took place throughout the, the history of the United States because somehow or another that makes you feel bad. Get the hell out. I mean, it's just <laughs> so dumb. Speaking of, though, getting the hell out. We got to get out of here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we've done this long enough. Uh, let's uh, let's slide out. Uh, until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace.